right, we're going to get into God's Word this morning, and uh, kind of a message I'm really excited about this morning as we gather together in worship today. How many of you played the game Red Rover as a child? Anyone remember Red Rover? Red Rover, you remember how it goes? Red Rover, Red Rover, send Johnny right over, right? Whoever the smallest kid was on the other side, right? Um, I see the Carlton's here today. Is it your last Sunday here, guys? Yet Next week is your last Sunday? Well, I'm away next week. So I want to say, uh, Drew and Sarah, we have enjoyed having you and your family with us. One of the blessings of COVID, you guys found us in the midst of that when we opened last summer and you jumped right in to serving in ministry. Uh, I know uh, the words, uh, you guys are moving down to Tennessee and I will miss you, but it's been good having you with us here. Drew, Sarah, Andy, Eva, and Margot. So, miss you guys. So, Red Rover, Red Rover. You remember how you played that game? You, you called out the smallest kid you could on the other side. They had to run across. You held your arms tight, right? And see if they could break through your arms. And if they broke through, they got to go back. But if you could hold tight, you got to keep them as a part of your side, right? I don't, I don't even know if I ever played a game of Red Rover that ended. I don't know how it ever ended, uh, I guess. But, you know, I'm sure that it is not allowed to be played today. Um, there are all kinds of uh, shoulder surgeons that have problems maybe with Red Rover, I'm sure. But it was this game that we used to play. And the idea was, how can you get as many people on your side, right? How do you get... How do you get the most amount of people on your side without losing people to the other side? This was Red Rover. We're going to talk this morning a little bit about sides. Talk about this idea of sides. Because I think in the last year we've all felt some of the tension of feeling like we need to at times be on a side. And we're going to talk about that. I want to get at that by looking at a story in the book of Joshua. We're going to take a break from Luke for a week. We'll be back in the book of Luke next week. We're going to look at a story in the book of Joshua. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Joshua chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Joshua chapter 5. And if you're going to use a Bible from your chair rack, Joshua chapter 5 is on page 180. Let me give you the context as you're turning there, where we are in kind of salvation history, in Bible history, Joshua chapter 5. So it's just after God had used Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and through miraculous and devastating events, had brought his people out of Egypt, out of slavery after 400 years and he's bringing them into a new land. And so Moses has been leading them. And for years in the desert, Moses has been leading him. And then Moses dies. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy is where you find Moses dies. And Joshua is the next leader to take over. And Joshua is going to lead God's people into a land. And he's going to lead them into some battles that they'll face. And the first battle that they'll face, you may be familiar with, is the battle of Jericho. And if you grew up in the church, if you grew up in a church, you probably sang the songs, you know, Joshua felt the, fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. You saw, if you didn't sing that song, maybe you saw the Veggie Tales, where, where, where Joshua, you know, going to fight the battle and Slushy gets in their ear and there's all kinds of things going on there. This is the time 
of that salvation history. Here's what's going. Joshua is going to fight this battle. He's going to fight the battle of Jericho. But before he does, before he goes to battle, and the battle is a strange thing as it is. We're not getting into that today, but they march around the city, and there's trumpets, and, and there's all kinds of ways that God uses to miraculously deliver Jericho into uh, Joshua's hands. I just want to look at one particular kind of strange moment that takes place prior to all of that. It's in Joshua chapter 5. And Joshua chapter 5 verse 13 says this. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us? Or are you for our adversaries? Joshua says, whose side are you on? Sees this man with a drawn sword in front of him. He says, are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? When people are drawing up sides, they begin to look around at others and ask, are you with me or are you against me? This is what Joshua is doing. He sees a man with a sword. Do I need to grab my sword? Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Want to know whose side are you on? As I mentioned, this has been a year, I think, in many ways of drawing up sides. Today I'm not talking about the world outside of the church particularly. I want to talk about the world inside the church. I want to talk about followers of Jesus Christ because we have not been immune to this thinking. We have not been immune to the drawing up of sides. We have not been immune to the idea that even Joshua comes, which side are you on? Within the church, it's been a year of drawing up sides, a year of people looking at other people, fellow Christians, and saying, are you with us? Are you against us at times? And I am. If you're with us today and you're a guest or you're joining us online as a guest and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just checking us out, we're glad that you're here. But I really want to talk to the Christians today. I really want to kind of talk a little bit of an insider message. I want to talk about a little bit of a family message for us today. Because in this last year, I think we've all felt this tension. You may have lost relationships this year with friends, family, fellow believers because sides were drawn up around a virus, an election, race relations, a vaccine, a stimulus package, gun laws, whatever they might be. All kinds of lines being drawn and sides being taken. It's been a year in many ways of drawing up sides. When people draw up sides, they try and figure out who's with them, who's on the other side. Today is a Sunday, actually, that your pastors have had marked on our calendar for months. Um, for quite a while now, we've had a message planned for this Sunday to talk about with the church. And the message is, what kind of church are we going to be in a world that continues to draw up sides? Who are we going to be in a world that continues to, to try and pull to one side or another on issues? We had no idea that today would be the day we would return like this or sanctions or protocols or whatever you call them will be lifted. I had no inside information about that. I thought it was going to be down in August, but God knew and we're glad 
that that's a part of today too. But we've been praying for a year now, asking the Lord, who do you want us to be in a world that is continually drawing up sides? It's a big topic. It's a big topic in the Christian world at large. In fact, tomorrow, I'll get on a plane and fly to California for uh, a program I'm in, continuing some theological studies that I've been involved in for the last several years. And each year, I've got a different topic we discuss. It was spiritual formation and preaching. And this year, our topic is church and culture, apologetics. How are we supposed to live as the church in the midst of a world that's becoming increasingly secular, increasingly drawing up sides? How do we relate to each other? How do we relate to our world? What kind of church are we going to be in a world that's continually drawing up sides? When people draw up sides, it's important to worry about, it's more important to worry about being on God's side than to worry about who is on your side. It's the first point this morning. When people draw up sides, it's more important to worry about being on God's side than it is to worry about being and worry about who's on your side. Here's the point that Joshua learned. Let's get back to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, his response is this. And he said, so in verse 13, we had when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no. It wasn't a yes or no question, but he said, no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Pointed, Joshua want to know, are you on our side or our adversary's side? You for us or you for them? And he says, no, I'm on God's side. No, don't, don't put me in this bucket. Don't put me on this place. Don't put me in that place. I am the commander of the Lord's army. I'm on God's side. And when a time when people are drawing up sides and which side are you on and are you the, us or are you them, it's not so important to who's on your side as important it is as am I on God's side? President Abraham Lincoln knew this during the Civil War, a time when both sides, the North and the South, at some point figured, thought that God was on their side. One of his advisors came to President Lincoln and said that he was grateful that God was on the Union's side. To which Lincoln responded, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. I wonder if Lincoln had this Joshua passage in mind. But how do you determine it? How do you determine if you're on God's side? How do you determine if, because it's difficult at times. Well, I think what Joshua says next is important to us because the best way to make sure you're on God's side is to listen to all of what he says. Best way to make sure you're on God's side is to listen to all of what he says. So 5.14, here's how it continues in Joshua 5.14. He says, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And here's what happens next. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? 
And the commander of the ward's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua's response, his question was, what side are you on? He said, I'm on God's side. And he follows, he's the commander of the ward's army. He falls down on his feet and says, what do you have to say to me? What's your word to me? I'm listening. The best way to determine, to make sure you're on God's side is to listen to all of what he says. That word all is critical, and I don't want to rush past it this morning. All of what he says. It's why we take time to preach through like a book of Luke, to listen to the entirety of the book of Luke and what God has to say. It's why we encourage you every year in January to read through the entire Bible, to listen to all of what God says, because here's what happens. What happens is we get tempted. We get tempted when we start drawing up sides to just listen to part of what God says. And it's usually the part that supports whatever side we are on. Last week, we talked about this tension of being good and doing good. Being good, we're to believe what's right, and doing good, we're to do what's right. And we said some churches focus so much on being good that they neglect doing good. And we also said that other churches focus so much on doing good that they compromise being good. It's this fullness of grace and truth, all of it together, walking in those things in partnership. But the temptation is to pick parts of the Bible, parts of the Bible verses, and to only pay attention to them. We do it with scriptures like Isaiah chapter 1, because this tension has existed, not only in our world, we think this is new, it's not new. This tension you feel is not new. This tension you felt in the last year is not new. This tension of, oh, I want to be good. I want to believe what's right, but I also want to do good. And, and I feel pulled at times, and you shouldn't, but it's always been there, this tension. This tension's all over Scripture. Isaiah chapter uh, 1, verses 16 to 17 say this. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Be good. Be good. Cease to do evil. The very next verse says, learn to do good. Same passage, very next verse. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Do good. Actually says the words right there. Learn to do good. And what is doing good? Seek justice where an injustice has been done. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Isaiah chapter 1. This is the scripture. We're tempted at times just to listen to part, not all. This is all over scripture. If you look at Micah chapter 6 verse 8. It says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Walk humbly with God. Be good. Have that truth. Know God. Follow his ways. But do justice, love kindness, do good. You can't pick one or the other. God doesn't call his church to pick one or the other to do both at the same time. James 1.27 
Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction, do good, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's so important to notice the and, not an or. Not do this or keep oneself unstained from the world. Not do good or be good. Not be good or do good. Both and. Carry them in tension. Live in tension. Do them both. This has always been there. James chapter 2, just a little bit right after that passage, James says, but some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. James is saying, look, being good, having the right beliefs is important, but you also have to do, you also have to have works, you also have to be involved. Be good and do good. It's tension we live with, tension in Scripture. If we are going to be a church that is the church that God wants us to be, we're going to have to listen to all of what Scripture says. And so a year ago, on this very Sunday, the last Sunday in May, Pastor Brian and I sat down in front of a video camera, and most of you were on the other side, somewhere in your home, watching on a screen, and we talked, and we had a talk about the events of the last week, what happened with George Floyd, what happened in our nation, what was happening in our nation. And we talked for a few minutes about how do we respond, what is our response as a church. We hear all kinds of ways to respond from all kinds of voices, but how do we as Christians, how do we process, how do we respond to it? Talked about speaking up and speaking out and lamenting and all of that. And we took some time and we said, what do we, how do we as a church, there's issues that maybe we're missing. We said, we shared a quote from Tim Keller that hit home with, with all of us as pastors. He said, there's four areas that are often, that are clearly in the Bible, that are clearly throughout Christian history, but often the four issues are not taken up by all Christian churches. He says, there's issues in scripture of pro-life issues, for sure. There's justice and racial and discrimination issues that are clear in scripture. There's sexual ethics that are clear in Scripture of how you're supposed to live a life of purity in your sexual life before God. There's issues of poverty and the poor and what you're supposed, how you're supposed to live in relation to poverty and the poor. And, and Keller rightly said, and this is where the arrow kind of hit home with us, most churches take up two of the four. And different churches pick a different two. Most churches, some will choose poverty and justice issues. Others will choose life and sexuality issues. But very few take up all four. And we started to ask ourselves, are all four in Scripture? And we said, yes, all four are there. All four are biblical. All four are parts and things that God cares about when it comes to being good and doing good. And so we said, we, we took time to pray and ask the Lord, and what do we do? How do we, how do we respond at Mount Hope? How do we handle this? And in January, you might remember the last Sunday of January, we preached a message to you called Compassion Without Compromise, that we will be a church. This one thing we know, that when it comes to issues like this and issues of our day, we will be a church that has compassion, but we will be a church that does not compromise our beliefs, our convictions, the gospel. 
We will be a church that does not compromise what the scriptures say about the real hope that there is, that it's not in our systems, it's not in our doing, it's not in anything. It, our hope, hope is ultimately in Jesus Christ, that there's right, there's wrong, that scripture is true, that we'll be a church of compassion without compromise, that we will have conviction without compromise. So this morning, as a part of that, as a response, we're introducing a new ministry to you after a, a year of thinking and praying. It's a new ministry in the way that it's formed and organized, although I think you'll find it's some things that have already been going on in many ways in the life of our church. It's a compassion ministry at Mount Hope. We said we didn't want something that's a quick flame, that's out, a quick statement that's forgotten. If this is important, if there's something here we're missing and something the Bible talks about and something we're not engaging in fully, then it needs to be into the fabric and the DNA of who we are as a church, of who we are as a people, that it needs to be clear that we are a people that cares about the things that God cares about in those scriptures. So we're introducing something called the Compassion Ministry. For the last six months or so, since January, there's been a team led by Lifelong Lee that's been working on this. It's had people from Burlington, James Frazier's been on that team, Leo Rivera's on that team. From Belmont, Mark Summers and Rosemary Barbarian were on that team. They've been meeting nearly weekly, discussing, praying, looking at, how do we as Mount Hope form a ministry that clearly has compassion without conviction. And so the mission statement at this point, the compassion ministry at Mount Hope seeks to reflect God's love with our time and money and nurture a heart of compassion at Mount Hope by partnering with local gospel-centered organizations to serve the poor, oppressed, and overlooked. But at Mount Hope, we will commit to these things that has value statements that go along with this, that it will be biblical, local, relational, and transformational. That, there's a, that anything we do with compassion ministry is going to have a biblical lens that sees the world, that all have fallen short, that all are in need of God's compassion and mercy, that it's only through salvation in Jesus Christ, that the ultimate hope is available and that redemption is open to all that it's local. We're looking to partner locally. We'd love to change the world, but often we think about what can be done over there and out there, and we neglect what can be done locally and our responsibility here. We send our global outreach partners overseas to do work like this, but then we neglect it in our own neighborhoods. And so it's local. It's relational. We're going to partner with organizations that are also relational, that are, are also walking long-term with people, and it's transformational. Its ultimate goal is to share the gospel. That each, any organization we partner with will have as their focus, as their foundation, and as their ultimate goal, the understanding that the gospel, salvation through Jesus Christ alone, is the ultimate hope for all and any particular person and any life. It is mercy on mission to put it in short, is the uh, quickest, shortest statement we have at this point. That this compassion ministry will work in that. We've, it's different than our benevolence ministry. We have a benevolence ministry, and this is distinct from that. Our, distinct, our benevolence ministry works as kind of crisis 
uh, short-term, uh, one-time problems that people might have, and we intervene and we help with them, and that's what our benevolence ministry did. Last week, we just had our benevolence ministry kind of uh, work and, and come into play in a, in a unique way. We had someone in our Belmont congregation, Rebecca Buene, and Rebecca is here. She's been a part of our Belmont congregation the last year or so. She's uh, on asylum from Uganda. Uh, she had to leave. Her life was being threatened there. In fact, her kids and her family are still there. She's been separated from her family for the last year. And Rebecca is here, and she's on asylum, and she's been working here, and she has a job, and she needed a car. And uh, she went to buy a car from a used dealership here locally. Um, she, you know, looked at all the values and everything and thought she was getting a, a, a good deal, and she went and she bought this car, but the dealer that she bought it from was... Uh, was not an honest guy, uh, probably targeted Rebecca when he saw her coming, knew she might not have understandings of all the laws and ins and outs, sold her a car at, uh, at the you know, market rate of that car, but it wasn't worth that. After driving it for about a month, took it into a shop and realized it needed $10,000 worth of engine work on this car. And we consulted legally and lawyers, and I know your mind's racing to the same thing, mine raced too, all these things, but this guy had all his bases covered, knew the laws inside and out, had himself covered, unfortunately, in all kinds of ways, but uh, our benevolence team <coughs> kicked into action, worked with Rebecca, you know, talked with this guy, got him to take the car back for at least part of the money, and then presented the need last week in Belmont to the congregation that knows Rebecca, and in the last, uh, in within a few days, $14,000 had come in, and we were able to buy Rebecca a new car last week that's going to be a good car for her that's going to last and that's going to serve her well. And that's our benevolence ministry. Our benevolence ministry works to help with needs like that that are one time that come up and, and, and that we need. But the compassion ministry is different. The compassion ministry is working with organizations long-term who are working in places that are important that need God's compassion on them. And we've done this. Like I said, this is why I say it's not won't be unfamiliar to you because we've done it with places like New Life, with Grace Rosado, uh, their, their home for, uh, you know, pregnant women who find themselves in a situation uh, that they want to keep their baby, but, but, uh, or, and also addiction that they are uh, struggling with and addiction recovery with New Life Home. Sylvia's Haven with Sylvia Anthony uh, for also for pregnant women. Prison ministry with Pastor Eddie, going into the prisons, having compassion, taking teams into the prisons as well, and being able to do that. Teen Challenge, addiction recovery ministries, Convoy of Hope, Amira House, which works with sex trafficking, Emmanuel Gospel Center, which works to relieve uh, all kinds of issues in the city in the name of Jesus Christ and in God's name. So that in that way, partnering with organizations is nothing new. We just haven't had a real organized way of doing it. We kind of put it here and there. It's been a little haphazard. And we're looking for other places, working for other godly, gospel-centered organizations that are working in these four areas. And we're going to ask for your help. I'm going to ask for your help in a second about that if you know of ones that will be good for us to consider. But it's also been happening. Some of you are doing it individually. And we know that, and we want to hear about that as well, because we know there's people at Mount Hope that you're already being good and doing good, but we probably don't know about it. We'd love to hear how you're doing it and how we can maybe be a part of that as well. When people draw up sides, they worry about who is on their side. 
and they listen to the voices of people and where they stand. And a lot of that's gone on this past year. If you haven't felt it, you know, you're, you're I think, among the anomalies that are out there. I think all of us have felt this idea of being drawn up or pulled to a side and even saying, if I say something about this, are they going to think that? And at times, maybe we have been hesitant to even speak out on things that we know is right, things that we know might be wrong because we think it's going to put us on one side or they'll think we're on that side. Of that. I mean, just during this, just today, you know how many conversations we had about what today would look like in the last week? How many conversations our staff, our leadership, our elders, our, our, our ministry staff, what's today going to look like? Are we going to take that off? Are we going to let this go? Are we going to, what are we going to do? Because what are they going to think? I mean, it's at the very beginning, all we know is we're going to disappoint everybody at some point. And that's pretty much what happened. You know, where you're going too fast, you're going too slow, you're listening too much, you're not listening enough, you're, you're, you're caring, you know, and it's, it's been all this, and what do you say, and when I say something, you're going to put me on your side or their side. We've all been feeling this. But at times, maybe it's kept us from doing what we know is right, saying what we know is right, standing on God, not being able to have the full gospel of grace and truth, of compassion and conviction, of mercy and mission, that we are called to be good and to do good. That that is the full expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there are areas where we as Christians following Jesus need to not ignore because someone is going to think we're on that side or the other side. It's not who's on our side. It's our, are we on the Lord's side? We're going to be a church that makes sure we are on God's side by listening to his voice first. And so as we close, I'm going to ask our worship team to come back, but I'm going to do a little different closing here, and I'm going to ask you to do something while the worship team is singing this song. I'm going to do something I almost never do during a worship time as a closing time. I'm going to ask you to take out your phone. Uh, if you got your phone, take out your phone. Uh, and we're going to put a QR code up on the screen. And we're going to ask you to take a quick compassion survey that our compassion, newly formed compassion ministry has put together. If you need a paper version, just raise your hand. Our ushers have some paper versions. Ron and Deb have some paper versions. If you don't have your phone or you prefer just to take a paper version, just raise your hand. Ron and Deb will bring you a paper version and you can fill it out in paper. But it's only got four questions. It's pretty quick, but we want to know. If you're interested in helping getting a part of this ministry, if you're currently involved in compassion, three questions actually, now that I'm looking at it. If you're currently involved in compassion ministry, what is it? Because we'd love to be a part of that and, and consider maybe if that's something Mount Hope would be a part of. And there are some places where you can get involved even now, and we'd encourage you to do that. This is just our first step. You'll be hearing it, Compassion Ministry. We've figured several times throughout the year. Uh, this Sunday, our Memorial Day weekend, uh, that holiday Sunday, uh, we, uh, we're looking at focusing each year on this Sunday on the compassionate, freedom, liberating work that Jesus endeavors to bring. Sun, one Sunday in January, and then also 
uh, in November at our Thanksgiving Eve service. Those will be places where we put bookmarks in our calendar because here's what we didn't want to do. We just didn't want to just look and say, okay, you know, the news cycle has changed. Let's move on to what's next. Because that's not what the church is... If, if we're talking about biblical issues, if we're talking about things that God cares about, if they're important enough to have a voice on, if they're important enough to talk about, then they aren't things that just come and go with the news cycle. And let's just, and let's just talk about it because the news and the world is talking about it. Because the world will move on to what's next. The world will move on to the next, the next news item or the next shocking thing, and they'll move on. But if it's something in our life, if this work of being good and doing good is supposed to be the part of every Christian's life all the time, then we can't move on with the news cycle. It's what happens a lot of times when you get these areas of of disaster, right? And everybody rushes in for the short term. And oftentimes, no one hears anything more about it a week, a month, or two months later. And oftentimes, I think you'll find, I can't say every time, but I know a lot of times I've heard that years later, you're going to see the Christians' organizations are still there. They're still working. They're still trying to bring about change because you don't move on when the news cycle moves on. And if these issues of justice, racial issues that because the Bible hates racism, these issues of life because God loves life, the preborn and the elderly, the mentally challenged, the physically challenged, all of life, that if these issues are important to God, that sexuality, biblical sexuality is important to God, the poor, poverty, if these things are important to God, if they're in the scriptures and you, you search them out, don't take my word for it, Go read the scriptures. See what God says about these things. If they're important, then they should be a part of who we are and the fabric of who we are. Worship team's going to sing this last song. I, I know I've already seen you guys on your phones. You're already clicking. You missed the last five minutes of what I said. That's okay. Because I've taken too much time. So they're going to sing. We're going to close in worship. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask you if you have children filled out the survey. I'm going to ask you to grab your kids from the kids ministry because uh, they need to turn over those rooms for the next groups that are coming in. Uh, Right, Donna. Donna's in here. Yes. Amen. Uh, So uh, after I close in prayer, uh, the team's going to sing. But if you do have kids, if you'd go grab them from the kids ministry so they can turn those rooms over, we'd appreciate it. Would you stand? Lord, God, this is not an easy message, not an easy word to hear not an easy word to preach. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to search our hearts as individuals. And I know that we've been doing that, I believe, as a church. That Lord, we would be guided by your word, your principles, your love, and the full and complete gospel. Gospel says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And if we're honest, Lord, we often swing between one or the other. Lord, help us to be like our Lord. Have compassion and conviction, mercy and mission, grace and truth. May we be those people. May we be that church. In Jesus' name, amen.